Have you ever had a bad neighbor? Well, I know growing up uh, as a child, I, I had this next door neighbor. He was just a year or two older than me, and he loved to terrorize us. He chased me down the street one day with a screwdriver in his hand. I'm not sure what I did to cause that, but all I know is that I was fast enough that day to get away from him. You know, I have no clue why he was doing that. And then when we got married, Jeanette and I got married, I, we moved into this apartment. It was a lovely apartment. It had vaulted ceilings. It was really nice. Unfortunately, we didn't have the greatest neighbor. Our neighbor would come home in the middle of the night and just start screaming. I don't know if it was a roommate or a friend, and it would just wake us up all the time. And we'd, we'd call the office complex. We'd complain, but nothing ever seemed to change. But then we've had some great neighbors along the way. We moved into our house that we're in right now. You know, both of our neighbors on both sides of our house, they were so nice and generous and kind. You know, our neighbor to the, to the left of us, they always seemed to get out first when the snowstorm came, and they would plow our driveway and take care of our sidewalks. You know, they gave our children a, a snowman jar. It, it had all the supplies you need to build a snowman. You just needed to add the snow. And we were sad when they told us that they wanted to downsize and they wanted to move. And, um, you know, we were just sad because they were such great neighbors. And when you find a good neighbor, it's a wonderful thing. Well, in 1968, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood debuted. And in each episode, Fred Rogers would walk in, and he'd put on his cardigan sweater, and he'd, he would change from his dress shoes to his tennis shoes, and, and he would sing his signature song, you know, the song, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, A Beautiful Day for a Neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? And Mr. Rogers, he wasn't the first one to tackle the question of who is my neighbor, or, and the issue of how am I a good neighbor, Jesus was asked this very same question. So will you stand with me this morning out of honor of reading the word of God? It's found in Luke chapter 10, starting verse 29. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and whined and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, for this new year. We thank you for the blessings you've given us. And Lord, I ask right now, 
God, may we learn the truths and from this passage about how we can be a good neighbor and we can minister to the people that come alongside of us and that we encounter every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, if you notice, Jesus, he never really answered or defined who a neighbor is, but instead he, he shows that being a neighbor to someone isn't limited to the person next door, but it's showing love to those around us. It's showing the love of God to those who are in need, no matter who they are. There was a Sunday school teacher who was telling her class the story about the Good Samaritan, and she described the situation in such vivid detail, hoping that her students would really grasp and catch the drama of the story. And then she asked the class, if you saw a person lying on the road all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? Well, the class thought for a while, and then finally, a thoughtful little girl broke the silence by saying, I think I'd throw up, right? The man is wounded. He's bleeding. It's easy to read the story of the Good Samaritan and, and look down on the two that passed him by and, and left the injured man there. But in a world full of need, it can feel overwhelming as we can just feel the struggle to follow Jesus' call to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves, this story of the Good Samaritan gives us this powerful and practical lessons about how we can be a good neighbor to all those around us. And so a good neighbor responds to the needs around you. Honestly, you don't have to go far to find people who are in need. They're all around us. The other week, we were exiting the freeway as a family, and we came to the stoplight, and there was a homeless man standing there with a sign that said, homeless, anything would help. And Jeanette usually keeps in her car a, a bag that has some essentials like toothpaste and deodorant and granola bars, things like that. And so we rolled down the window and, and handed it to him. And as we were driving away, we could see in the side mirrors him going through the bag and just looking at it. You know, it didn't take much, it didn't cost us much, but we gave something that we could to immediately help him. In our story of the Good Samaritan, it says that the Good Samaritan came along and he saw this man. The Good Samaritan was going about his daily business. He had things he needed to do, and as he comes by, he's, he's just walking by and he comes to someone in need. Someone who's attacked, someone who's beat up, someone that was left for dead. And he responds. Even though he had other places he needed to get to, even though he was all alone, even though he had other plans, he stopped and he responded to the need that was in front of him that moment. You know, we're often, we become self-absorbed. We're only focused on, on our own needs, and, and we can miss out on everybody else's. We pass by people without consciously seeing them. You know, we throw up a hand. We say, hey, how are you doing? We, we say good morning, and we just go on our way. We, we're thinking about what's on our list of things to do, our own problems, our own busyness, and we can miss the deeds that are right in front of us. The Good Samaritan, he was moved by the need that was right in front of his eyes. 
And when he saw the stranger, he took pity on him. He, he didn't just look away. He acted upon it. And that's what Jesus did when he saw the needs of others. He, he was teaching, and a large crowd gathered, and, and they began to listen to him. And, and as the day went on, they began to run out of food. And he turns to his disciples, and he says this in Mark 8. I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. Don't worry, we'll get you out of here before three days comes by, okay? But Jesus, he saw the need, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, we need to feed them. And the disciples, they, they scrounge around, they come up with these seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, and Jesus then begins to go and feed 4,000 men that day, and he sends them and their families home with their bellies full of food. You know, when we love others as ourselves, we look past our own selfish needs, and we notice the people that God puts in our path. And maybe the response is feeding someone that day who's hungry. Maybe the need at that moment is just to give a word of encouragement. But the problem is if we keep people at an arm's length, we really won't see the needs that are right in front of us and we won't be able to help them at all. A good neighbor will respond with compassion towards others. There was a man who was walking through the park when he heard a noise coming from the bushes. And he looked and he saw this cat that was stuck in these bushes and needed help. Now this man was better than me because I would have just left that cat right there. But he saw the need and he went to the bush and he reached down to try to grab that cat. But every time he reached down, the cat would get scared and the cat would scratch his hands. Well, another man saw what was going on, and he said, why don't you just leave that cat alone? That cat will figure out how to get out all by himself. Well, the man didn't pay any attention, and he continued to try to help get this cat out. And at last, he was finally able to get a hold of the cat and pull him out and, and bring him out. And as he did, he turned to the man that was still watching, and he said this. He said, the cat is an animal, and its instinct is to scratch and attack. But I am human, and my instinct is to be compassionate and kind. The Good Samaritan's response was a response of compassion. He had compassion on him, and he went to him. His compassion for this man would, wouldn't let him just walk away and, and not do anything for this injured man. He saw this man suffering, and he could see how badly he was hurt and injured, and he was moved with compassion, and so he needed to do something, and he went to him. See, compassion is the ability to feel along with another person. It's the pity that stirs one to act in order to help those who are suffering. St. Augustine said this about compassion. What is compassion but a kind of fellow feeling in our hearts for another's misery, which compels us to come to his help by every means in our power? Throughout the Bible, it tells us how God is compassionate. But when you see the life of Jesus, he shows us his compassion. 
He felt compassion to those who were suffering physically, and he would heal them of their sicknesses. He felt compassion to those who were suffering emotionally when he came across a funeral, and he brings this woman's son back to life. He had compassion on those who were suffering spiritually. Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like the good Samaritan, time and again, Jesus was moved with compassion. So what moves you to action? What causes you to respond to a terrible situation? Are you moved with compassions to help others? Are you moved with love? In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. As passionate followers of Christ, we are to be people of compassion. We are to love others as we love ourselves. And when we see people grieving, we're to grieve with them. We're to come alongside them and grieve along with them. We're to help them. We're to have compassion on them. We're to love them. Thirdly, a good neighbor will respond with practical help. Has someone ever asked you for help? They found themselves in a situation that they couldn't get out of or they just needed another hand and, and they called you to help them out. You know, often our answer to helping them kind of depends upon more of our convenience than our ability. The good Samaritan, he sees the need of this man and he offers him some practical help. He sees the physical need, right? This man was robbed, he was beaten, he was left for dead. And, and I'm telling you, instead of saying to this guy, oh, you know what, I feel so sorry for you, I'm going to pray that you feel better and walk on his way, the good Samaritan, he begins to clean up the wounds, he begins to bandage them together. He saw the physical need and took care of them. There was a clothing need. Remember, this man was stripped of his clothes. It had to be pretty embarrassing for him to be laying there, however dressed or undressed he was. And so this good Samaritan, he sees him, and he had to have given him something to wear. Maybe it was a coat or a cloak or something, but there was a clothing need, and he took care of him. There was a transportation need. This, this guy wasn't going to get up and walk on his own and walk away. So this good Samaritan, he did what only he could do. He placed the injured man upon his own donkey, and it became the first speed the light vehicle. And for those of you that don't know what speed the light is, it's the way our students give to missions. When our students give to speed the light, it helps missionaries do what God's called them to do. It provides essential transportation. It buys the convoy of hope vehicles and trailers so that when a natural disaster hits, they're able to go. It provides missionaries vehicles so that they can drive to towns and other villages and share the good news of Jesus. It provides creative communication equipment like sound systems and generators so that they can set up and begin to preach and share who Jesus is. 
It provides compassion projects like water wells, disaster response, anti-human trafficking initiatives, so that they can reach people for Jesus and tell people about Jesus. And so when our students give to Speed the Light, it's impacting people's lives. Also that missionaries can go and share the good news of Jesus and tell people about Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you, help our students out. Encourage them to continue to give to Speed the Light. You know, there was also a housing need. This man, he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and there really isn't a Hilton Hotel. There is no campground that he could go to, and if there was, he was robbed. He had no money, so he couldn't pay for it. And can you imagine if he walks into that hotel and the clerk's standing there at the desk? He'd be like, nope, you're not staying here. We're calling the cops, Right? This good Samaritan, he realizes that one of the greatest needs for this man is to get to a place where he can just rest and heal. And so this good Samaritan, he offers practical assistance that would make a difference in that moment for that individual. In James chapter 2, it says this in verse 14, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You know, often we tell people that we're going to pray for them, which is a good thing to do, and we should be praying for them. But sometimes we need to do a little bit more than that. Sometimes it takes filling up a person's car with gas. Sometimes it's running them up to a store. A couple weeks ago, my, my neighbor called me, and he asked, he goes, are you free? And I said, yeah, you know, the Michigan game just ended not too long ago, so whatever you need, I can help you with. And, and so he said, listen, I, my car was getting worked on, and it's finished. I just need you to run me up to the store and, so that I can get it. And I said, sure, let's go. And we had a great conversation as we were driving, and I was dropping them off. See, responding with practical help, it may mean running up to the grocery store and picking up some groceries for your neighbor. It may mean helping them out with their laundry or driving them to a doctor's v visit. Sometimes it's buying school supplies for your neighbor's children or feeding the family a meal or just spending time with them. You see, the good Samaritan, he saw the need, and he said, I'm going to take care of it. The injured man touched his heart, and then he touched his life. Time was used. Money was used. Talent was used. Resources were used. And the injured man, he was ministered to. And that help that we give, it needs to be practical so that people can respond. And then fourth, a good neighbor responds with follow-up help. And next to that, I want you to just write, involve others. And you'll understand that in a moment. There's a story of a fifth-grade boy named Ian, and he was undergoing chemotherapy, and all the students in his class, you know, they, they told Ian just how bad they felt that he had to go through this and that how, 
you know, it was terrible how he was so sick. And they just felt bad about the situation. And as, as Ian was going through chemotherapy treatments, his hair began to fall out. And so he just decided to shave the rest of his head. And that's when one of Ian's classmates got the idea to shave his head too. And he began to encourage all the other 14 boys in that class to shave their heads as well. They didn't want Ian to feel left out. They didn't want him to feel all alone. They wanted him to know that there was others who were with him. They put it into practice what Galatians 6.2 says, help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you'll follow Christ's teachings. Not only did the Good Samaritan provide practical help, he provided follow-up help too. He recognized that he couldn't just take care of this injured man all by himself. He, he had to continue on his journey. He had to continue to go and, and move on. But he did what he could do. He met the immediate need, but he also thought about what was going to happen to this man when he left. And so he got the innkeeper to help. He paid the innkeeper and for the room, and he told him to take care of the man's needs. And if it cost more, he would pay the innkeeper when he came back. He just told the innkeeper, do whatever you need to do to take care of this man's needs. And the truth is, we are dependent upon other people you know, each of us have different gifts, different talents, different abilities, different passions. And God uses each of us in different ways to accomplish his purpose so that we can help one another. And just like this good Samaritan was wise enough to recruit the innkeeper and get his help to meet this man's needs, we're to involve others as well. We're to help pray we're to help serve, we're to help minister, we're to help share Jesus to others. And you see, practical help is a great thing, but follow-up help is even better. When you get someone to come alongside you, to partner with you, two is better than one. And so that's a great advice. Find someone to come alongside you and encourage them to minister to others as well as, you're, as you are ministering. And then a good neighbor will respond with generosity. There was a man named James who went on a fishing trip for lobsters, and he gathered this massive catch of 125 lobsters, and when he got home, he, he had a freezer full of them, and more than enough to last for a year. And the next day, a friend dropped by, and so James, as he was sharing about his trip, decided that he would offer his friend one of the lobsters that he had caught. And the man was delighted and gladly accepted, and this caused James to ask himself, who do I know that might enjoy these as well? And so he got this great idea, and he began to call his friends and Ask, would you like one? And by the end of the week, he had given away 122 of his lobsters. He only kept three for himself. And, you know, he had a, such a great time of giving. He, he didn't mind that his supply, his year's supply of lobsters had now dwindled down to a meal. Well, a few days later, James went out to his garage and 
When he walked into his garage, he was encountered by a terrible smell that was coming from his freezer. He opened up his freezer to find out that the electricity had went out, causing all of those three lobsters to spoil. He began to clean up his mess, and he began to remember about all those lobsters he had given away, the joy that it had brought him, and he thought how if he hadn't given them away, all those would have been spoiled and wasted as well. In the book, More Give to Live, Dr. Douglas Lawson shares how the urge towards being generous, it begins in our early life. And he shares how it begins with parents teaching and modeling their children to be generous in their behavior. And when the child is old enough to go to school, the child then begins to learn generosity from their teachers and their pastors as well. And eventually, children begin to give and to share on their own, using their own resources to help those in need. And then in their teen years, they begin to learn volunteer service, helping others. And these patterns continue into, into adulthood and become a natural part of their life, a responsibility that isn't burdensome, but rather accepted and even welcomed. You know, when the Good Samaritan arrived at the inn, he opened his wallet, he covered the expenses of the man's room, he took care of the man, he fed him, he bandaged up the wounds, he took care of him, he provided clothing for him, and not only did he pay for the current expenses, he also paid out of his pocket what was going to come down the road. He committed to whatever the cost that was going to incur by taking care of this man. And the Good Samaritan shared what he had. He gave of his resources. He gave of his best so that he could invest to meet this man's need. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Paul's reminding us that everything belongs to the Lord. We're just God's stewards. God gives to us, and he says, take good care of it. And, and God provides for us, and he provides for us so that we can be generous towards others. And when we're willing to share our blessings to meet the need of others, God promises to take care of our own needs as well. The Good Samaritan's generosity is a great illustration that we are to give so that we can meet the needs of others, so that we can invest into other people as well. And we do this physically. We, we buy groceries, we buy clothes, we help out others with immediate needs, but we can do this spiritually as well. Think about what do you have spiritually that you can invest into other people? What has God done in your life this past year? What has he taught you that you can share with someone else? What experiences has he brought you through that you can tell someone so that they can experience and they can understand so that they may not go through your experiences? 
You know, just as we're called to share physical blessings and resources with others, we can share spiritual blessings as well. And just as God is generous with us, we're to be generous towards others so that we can make an impact in people's lives. When we live generously, when we give and put others' needs above our own, we're modeling to our children what it really means to be a passionate follower of Christ. We're modeling our maker because God is generous. God generously gave of himself for you and I. Let's pray. You know, this past week we celebrated Christmas and a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus when God sent his son to earth. He loved you and I so much that he gave, he generously gave his only son to die so that you and I may be forgiven so that we can spend eternity in heaven with him. Our God is a giving God. He gives us so much more than we deserve. And that God wants to have a relationship with you. And so with New Year's starting today, it's a new beginning, a new year. And you can have a new beginning with God as well. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life today, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. What a no better way to start your new year than to start it off right by saying yes to God today and inviting Jesus into your life and asking him to forgive you of all your mistakes, all your failures, all the things the Bible calls sin. And if you're ready to make that decision today and cross that line of faith, will you just pray with me right now? Just simply say, Jesus, I thank you so much God, that you loved me so much that you willingly came to die for me. You died on that cross so that my sins may be forgiven. And I ask you to come and forgive me of all my sin. Make me a new person. And though I don't understand everything, I do pray. Help me to live for you each day. Help me to know you more each day. And help me to share who you are to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. And God, for everyone else today, I pray, may you help us to respond like this good Samaritan. God, may we see the needs around us and may we have compassion on others the way you have compassion on us. God, may we respond with practical help May we respond with generosity. And God, may we bring others around us so that they can continue to help as well. Taking care of others, ministering to others. And so God, I pray, help us this year. God, to look around and see the need and respond with the faith and the generosity how you respond to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, if you prayed that prayer with me today and you cross that line of faith, we have a book that we'd be glad to give to you. If you're here today, if you just stop by the booth called The Crossing and just ask for that book, we'd be glad to give it to you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, will you email us at info at woodland.church? Let us know, or if you're watching right now, with uh, Church Online, you can let us know right there as well and give us your information. We'd be glad to send it to you as well. It's going to help you to understand your, what you just prayed and help you in your next walk, steps in, as well in your walk with God. And so let us know so that we can be praying for, for you as well. Well, once again, we want to say thank you so much for joining with us on this New Year's Day. What a great way to start the new year by worshiping together. And so we want to encourage you, go out, be generous, and share the love of God with everyone you meet. God bless. You're dismissed.